Kandahar from Bank of America, and it's my pleasure to introduce Jim Zeltzer. Jim is co-president of Apollo and sits on the firm's board, and he joined Apollo in 2006 and co-leads Apollo's asset management day-to-day operations across its alternative investment platform. Prior to joining Apollo, Jim was with Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here today. Really appreciate the opportunity. So Apollo was founded in 1990 with a, with a real focus on private equity in the beginning, but the firm has really evolved into a diversified alternative asset manager with scaled businesses across the institutional channel, uh, the, the wealth channel, um, and probably, you know, your most important channel relative to peers, the, the insurance channel. Um, the firm now manages $550 billion of AUM. Um, it is one of the five largest alt managers in the world. So, uh, Jim, maybe just starting with the macroeconomic backdrop, um, it's a really interesting time. We have uh, high interest rates, high inflation. Stocks were down a lot. They've come back some. Um, but everything's sort of pointing towards a weaker economy and higher loan losses, including some of the commentary from, from bank CEOs. So I just thought we could start with your update on the uh, macroeconomic backdrop. Sure, sure. Well, as, as you said, we're fortunate. We, we have an amazing perch. We see we, we control 30 to 50 companies at any point in time and are a uh, investment partner to 3,500 3, companies at any one point in time, mostly G7. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a long uh, ride in the desert for folks like us. Um, you know, rates were uh, at zero. Um, you know, the, the total addressable market and growth rates, you know, trounced any concept of free cash flow. So for us, uh, a strategy where discipline and purchase price matters, you know, we are, we are enjoying this period. Um, you know, I would say from an economic perspective, you know, the, the underlying economy, you know, it's very bifurcated. Um, entertainment, lodging, hotels, travel, gaming, very, very strong. Anything tied to the consumer uh, in, in the U.S., um, you know, deep industrials, autos, you know, car prices, white goods, home builders are a little bit more challenged. Um, and so that's sort of that bifurcated economy with a little bit higher elevated rates. Um, and I don't think the confidence amongst CEOs and, and C-suites is where it was in terms of, you know, the animal spirits. We were going down a path before the unemployment number a few weeks ago where the animal spirits were really starting to heat up. And then unemployment numbers sort of stop things. We, we for us, this is an this is a uh, I don't want to say Goldilocks, but it's a pretty good environment. You know, rates are dramatically higher, uh, so credit and lending you're getting paid massively, like you've never gotten paid in, in a decade. Um, and when the equity and debt markets are a bit foggy for the new issue market, we like that macroeconomic environment. So it's one that I would say is. Certainly very, very bifurcated. Uh, I, I suspect there's a lot of uh, concern and PTSD about, about confidence in the markets. A lot of bubbles have been popped, you know, bonds, tech, SPACs, crypto. Um, but we, we find this to be a really interesting market to, in, to invest. And, you know, our, our economist, Torsen, has been out there saying, you know, no landing. And I, and, you know, we, we, I was of the view last year that it was three quarters, 100% chance of a, of a recession. I still think you're going to have a little bit of an economic slowdown because I think, I think 
the afterburner impact of higher rates take some time, but um, generally constructive and really like this market for us to perform. So, you know, it seems like we're waiting for some sort of credit to develop and um, it just, it's not really happening. But, you know, let's say there is some development um, and maybe you can see it at some of the banks. Um, how do you think the U.S. alternative asset managers, which have very large credit portfolios today, how do you think they fare versus the banks? Because a lot of banks CEOs will say, we don't have that risk anymore. You know, it's, it's moved on to the asset management side in the last decade. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's a reason why we're not in the consumer unsecured business. Like, I, I don't know how that does. Um, the alternative managers, for the most part, have been, uh, they may have big equity portfolios in real estate or infrastructure or, or private equity. But on the credit side of the house, for the most part, scale is, is more senior up the capital structure. Um, so, you know, I, I think generally, listen, we're, we're looking for a good cycle because I think for our business and our business model, we need to show going through a credit cycle and coming out the other side with our business and with the theme. I think that's what investors are asking ourselves. But I think you're going to find most alternative managers are going to come out in fairly solid shape. You know, the, the issue with really a couple of areas of issue in the, in the lending area, you're mostly a senior secured lender. Folks who have a large uh, second lien or sub-debt portfolio, which are some of the larger BDCs, they may have a little bit of trouble for that. And certainly the whole CRE, um, you know, ecosystem, you know, massive equity growth because of where rates have gone for seven to 10 years. Um, and you get a backup and you get a backup in cap rates, you get a backup in, in NOI, it's a very slow moving asset class. So I think that's where you'd see some challenges, but you know, we're, we're not lenders to unsecured consumers that that's where, you know, that's was, that was 08, 09 in terms of well, resi. Um, but I, I, I think alternative managers are going to come through this in much better shape than people think. So, you know, that was kind of an industry comment and I promise this is the last credit quality one, yeah, but yeah. If we hone in on, on a theme, because you guys are doing something that's new and different and arguably really hasn't been really stress tested before, um, make us feel comfortable or may, or why do you feel comfortable with the credit quality inside of a theme and what its experience might be over the next year? You know, I think the big misnomers we're doing something so dramatically different. If you look at if the typical Athene portfolio is 95 percent, 95 every dollar, 95 cents of investment grade or investment grade. Uh, product, always debt, and then 5% alternatives. That's most other insurance companies. We've just, instead of taking that 95 cents and putting 75 cents into liquid investment grade, we have found ways to create investment grade rated risk that we believe is better structured, that has lower defaults, and is something new, but we would not by any means say it's riskier. And in fact, if you look at our, you know, we think CLO securitization, double A's and single A's are better than corporate credits because of the inherent diversity. So I think in the last 24 months, many other like-minded managers are following the evolution of our strategy. And in the, in the uh, institutional market, it might've been the 60-40 model okay, which was followed for decades. 
you know, in the insurance space, it was really a, you know, IG corporate public credit. And we know how there's volatility in the market. So we, we think in due course, you know, it's just a little bit level of understanding. But when you really, we're looking forward to a cycle because we will think, we, we're confident that with the robust nature of our portfolio will, will, will uh, come true. So I think 2020 was a really nice relative year for Apollo. Because if you think about the institutional channel, it was all about the denominator effect and crowded. Uh, retail channel became all about limits and flows slowing. That's what retail tends to do in bear markets. Uh, but your insurance growth was just like defensive and slow and steady. So how does that trajectory look this year? Is there any potential headwinds that, that you may be worried about? And also maybe talk about potential lapse rates as annuity holders inside of Athena and other insurance entities uh, may see higher, more attractive rates at, at, you know, in new products today. Well, let's take a step back. So, so it was only 14 months ago that we went, we went out and did our investor day and laid out a very strategic five-year plan, laid out where we were going in, in earnings, um, in returns, AS and AUM growth. And even though we didn't emphasize AUM growth, everybody focused on trillion dollars. It just happened to double our business. And we were very, very clear with what our uh, asset management business was going to do in terms of FRE revenue and earnings. We were very clear in what, what our SRE, our, our insurance earnings, retirement services. And we laid it out very, very clearly. We laid out three big objectives, you know, global wealth, um, origination, and, and syndication. And on virtually every metric, we are well above or maybe match the five-year plan. So we feel extremely comfortable that the five-year plan that we laid out, we are executing and we are at and above schedule in most areas. Um, you know, for us, certainly 22 was an extraordinary year for Athene. And it's interesting to see what's going on with the breadth of, of demand for annuities, fixed annuities and variable, mostly fixed, um, in the industry, it's dramatically higher the last couple of years. Athene has gotten a larger share of a larger pie. Um, and so we're really comfortable with in the size of the, of the, of the uh, capital raise we made last year. We were very public last week in our earnings call that we're confident between all three uh, channels that we feel we're going to do if, you know, that num those numbers, if not better. Um, to your question about the surrenders, there was a little bit of noise in the fourth quarter numbers. The reality is the surrenders are completely in line with what they've been historically. We, in the third quarter, there was an FABN maturity. In the fourth quarter, there was a, a $5 billion uh, reinsurance trade we did with a, a group that we have called Catalina, which is in the reinsurance, the PNC reinsurance. They had a lot of excess capital. So it made sense for us to take that $5 billion of dated aged annuities, put them on the Catalina, freed up capital for higher returning. So we, we, we see nothing in the, again, mo most of that product that we have is locked out. Only 20% of it is able to actually be, you know, surrendered. And we've, we've battle tested that and the impact from multiple impacts is negligible to our business. So we don't, we don't, we're, we, we are clear sailing ahead, executing our plan. Yeah, if you strip out those two institutional items, the retail lapse rates look pretty consistent. Yeah, there's, 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 no, there's no lapse rate. There's nothing changing from any historic numbers. And, and it's interesting, as most investors 
you know, you see what's going on with, with banks. They're not dramatically increasing the, the return. Uh, yes, you can buy CDs and such, but, you know, we, we feel like there's a, there's, this is the, a very good area with where rates are right now to increase that, that uh, fixed annuity product sales. So sticking with fundraising, let's focus on flagship fund 10, sure. your, your big private equity fund. So um, it, it isn't the easiest time to fundraise today. Uh, crowded, denominator effect. Um, you've already raised a lot of capital, um, but I wanted to get an update on how this is progressing, how much more time you may need to get to your target. Is your target still reasonable? And maybe if you take a step back, what does this mean for private equity in general? Is this, you know, one of the more mature private segments from a growth standpoint? Yeah, so let's take a look at, you know, so, so private equity has been a tremendous asset class for, for the last three decades, has, has garnered lots of returns and for investors who have been in it. And whether it's the U.S., Europe, or Canada, you know, there's, there's certainly a great deal of exposure. And the, and the recent success of private equity if you were a, a, a public fund and you had a 12% exposure because of performance, that's now 15 or 17. And so there's no doubt there is the so-called denominator effect of where larger firms or where large institutions are allocating to alternatives. And, you know, so from our perspective, you know, we've, we've closed on 15, we've said middle of the year, we're, wherever we end up, we're going to be one of the largest PE funds of all time. You know, we've shown a preponderance to do really well in this asset class. This is our kind of market. So I do think it's interesting. For us, we're happy we're not just in the PE business. We're happy that private equity is really important to us. It's our discipline, our DNA, but it's 75, 80 billion of the 550. So while it's a DNA of the firm and it's a discipline, we have lots of other ways that, you know, as investors look at alternatives today, it's we really think about alternatives across the entirety of the risk reward spectrum. And where can we create incremental return for a unit of risk with that liquidity transaction trade? And we see many opportunities. So I, I do think, you know, our strategy in PE is ringing home to many investors right now in an environment where the last 10 years, 40% of PE the last decade was healthcare and technology you know, a value-driven approach like we've done and the great performance of Fund 9 last year, we, we feel really comfortable. So it hasn't had any impact on executing our business model or executing our business plan. So we invest it in four years, not five years. It's, it's and, but I, I don't, I, I think the longer term question you're asking is, that it, it's, it's, it's a good thing that these firms have diversified because I think what you're seeing is the advent of, whether it's credit, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's real assets, these are massive, massive ecosystems and huge opportunity in the backdrop of an evolving financial services sector for us all to pick up a lot of shit. We're just, we're, we all as an industry are so much more relevant to the financing markets than we ever were before. So Jim, with this one, I may lead the witness a little bit, but uh, sticking with Fund 10, um, I think about this investment backdrop, you know, potentially recession, distressed environment. Um, you know, Apollo Fund 10 is a flexible mandate. Um, as many of you know, they can do distressed change for control type transactions. And then I look at your track record, you know, Fund 5 coming out of the TMT crisis, uh, 44% net return. Fund 7 coming out of the financial crisis, I think it was like 24, 25% return. Like, 
this should be an easy fund to sell. Um, and so, you know, how is that investment, you know, what is your thought of the investment backdrop? You probably agree with me, but, and then why doesn't that make it easier to sell at this point? Well, you know, again, I mean, we, we've closed on 15, the amount of $15 billion funds, you're, you're talking about, you know, maybe maybe 20 around the globe in history. So 10,000 funds, maybe 15. So we're doing pretty well. Um, it's a great environment for us. We've already put $3 billion to work. We've done a couple of buyouts. We did a couple of big uh, uh, dip trades. We announced, um, you know, Atlas Air. We've done about 10 toehold positions. We made a big investment a few weeks ago in, in uh, Western Digital. So there's no doubt that investors, when they are allocating, we are one of the two or three folks that they're allocating to. And so feel really good about getting, as I said, within our striking distance. And, you know, we're, we're very confident about where we're going to end up. Right. Um, so let's not talk about your oldest business. Let's talk about some of your newer businesses. Okay. So there's a lot of newer and mid-sized businesses inside of Apollo, which have really significant scaling opportunities. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite? Well, I think they're all derivatives. As in, when we had our investor day 14 months ago, we talked about global wealth. We talked about origination. And from two of those key pillars in, in global wealth, what we're doing right now is a, is a product called AAA, which is really, we took our alternatives business, pulled it out, which was 10 billion. And we brought in a few other institutional investors. So now it's 15. That's going to be a turnkey alternative product for the global wealth and the small institutional channel. We, we think that could be right now 15 billion. That eliminates the J curve. It's very simple. We think that could be a massive flagship for us over time. Uh, in a similar vein, you know, taking a lot of the global wealth products are not really tax efficient for most investors, depending on where you live. The idea of taking um, a private placement variable annuity and wrapping it and taking that 8% non-traded REIT or BDC, and instead of having 4% net, you can have 775. Those are probably two areas that I'm really excited about in global wealth. The other area I'd mention is the third-party insurance business, you know, taking what we've done for Athene over the last decade, 13 years. And, you know, in the past, we were so focused on creating origination to feed our own business. But in the last couple of years, our origination engines have gotten so large that we can not only feed Athene, but we can feed many others. And so this whole third-party insurance, we're finding a lot of growth. Uh, especially with these origination platforms where folks want to have some of that flow along with us. So between the, the Global Wells AAA and and uh, the insurance wrap product, as well as third-party insurance, you know, those are all, each of those can be massive business drivers for us. And those were not really part of our five-year plan when we, when we, when we talked about it 14 months ago. So Jim, I think, you know, if we all looked at your business three, four or five years ago, um, we could all come objectively come up with a list of a bunch of white spaces. Um, when Mark took over in early 2021, I mean, you guys really had an effort to kind of fill them in at this point. Um, it's really hard to find them now. Um, what are your biggest white spaces today? Well, I think, you know, we still believe that um, as, as, as people have described the advent of private credit over the last decade, we would argue that private credit really, it's a term that's, we know what private is, we know what credit is, but it's sort of not been well-defined. And it really has, what it has been is middle market sponsor or large cap sponsor lending. 
that's arguably gone from zero to a, a trillion dollar asset class. You know, it's our view that the private credit opportunity is a lot of activities that have been embedded in the financial services or banking system. So whether it's trade finance, inventory finance, what we just bought out of Credit Suisse in the securitized products business, which is really a finance company to finance companies, all those activities now are coming our way because we have long-term liabilities we can match up against those. So we think that private credit opportunity is not a $10 trillion opportunity. We think it's a $40 trillion opportunity, T. And so for us to be able to expand in that to get more what we call that fixed income replacement, really interesting space. You know, other, other white space, that's probably the largest and very consistent with our platform. But activities, the whole secondary space between private equity, but not only private equity, but real estate infrastructure and credit secondaries, that is an area that we are a bit of a latecomer, but we've brought, brought together a, a whole toolbox of capital that's very relevant to, to GPs as the GP market has grown in that. That's a massive area for us. Climate finance, uh, a lot of activity in that space for us. So we, we see a lot of white space within the big themes of credit, equity, and real assets. And we don't feel any need to go to the public markets. Um, and and we plenty of, plenty of, of opportunity set in those three areas for us. Um, another growth avenue is capital solutions. Mark's made this yeah. big product for the firm, yeah. but um, you know, the, the other competitor that, that really has a focus on this is, is KKR and they leverage a big balance sheet to do this. Mm-hmm. Now that, that is not your objective. Apollo right. wants to be capital light. So yep. how is your model, you know, set up differently than KKRs and how should we think about this really contributing to earnings growth over the next sure. years? So the, the whole idea behind having a capital markets business is, you know, you're right. KKR has done it with a balance sheet. We've done it really in the effort to feed the Athene model such that we were we came to the conclusion many years ago, or I came to the conclusion that the public markets, there wasn't enough QCIP production or QCIP product that would let us make that incremental yield. So we had to go out and find it. And so now we spent the last five years building it. And now the the ability for us to create that product is in excess of what Athene can use. So what do you do with that? You you find yourself in a spot where it creates a flywheel where you find other insurance companies that want to be aligned. And when they hear that we're taking down a billion dollars of something and Athene is taking 400, 600, 800, they'd say, like, we'd like to be side by side with you. So it creates alignment. They come into our ecosystem and we're able to do that where the economics not only are good for our SRE business, the insurance related earnings, spread related, but actually creates FRE. So it's a massive flywheel. And so for us, you know, if you look at that, we laid out an objective to take that ACS revenue from 200 to 500 over five years. We went from 200 to 410 last year, 415. And so we feel very confident that having that utility in the middle of our entirety of our platform, it it massively expands your reach, not only behind, uh, in addition to your 3,000 LPs, but, you know, we were rumored when we purchased the CS transaction that there were a lot of other large named managers along with us. 
And for us, you know, I think there's in the past, it was the sell side just dealt with the buy side. It was a one-way pipe. Now the ecosystem amongst the, amongst the buy side is continuing to expand. And I, I think, you know, what, 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 how we are different than, than KKR is we're aligned in the sense that anything we syndicate, we own a majority of. There's a great sense of alignment to that. So, uh, but I think this is, this is gonna be table stakes in the future. If you don't have these businesses, that they, the reliance, the largest investors around the globe, they wanna see more co-investments. They wanna be part of that ecosystem. So it's a, it's a massive flywheel once it gets going. Great, um, let's pivot into your individual investor business. I mean, this looks like a big growth, growth avenue for the next decade. Yeah. Um, you've been launching a, a lot of products in this channel. So um, just remind us uh, what Apollo offers today uh, to the private wealth channel. Well, we, we, when, you, when you attack your, when we attack that channel, um, you can do it a few ways. You can take the products you have, the flagship products in PE, in credit, in real assets, and put a retail wrap around those. And that's usually for the Uber high net worth channels. Um, then there's creating new products like a private REIT or a private BDC, which are more structured for a broader audience. And then you can create new products like that AAA that I talked about, which is taking a aligned strategy that's unique and none of our peers have that. And I don't want to use the current term category killer, but something that's scalable and large that is a unique product itself. So, you know, you, you have to attack it from not only that product development, you have to develop it from a variety of channels, regionally, globally, and regionally. But then you also have to have uh, education and technology. So for us, it's Apollo Academy, where a, a, um, a financial consultant, an, IR, an RIA, uh, independent, independent broker-dealer, they can go on and learn about private credit, private assets. So you got to invest in the education. you got to invest in technology, how they, how they onboard, how they get information, what's the golden source of, of dialogue. So, you know, what was the table stakes a couple of years ago of just having a flagship product, it, for us to go to interface with your firm, you know, they want to see a breadth of products. They want to see support, channel service. They want to see technology and education. So the table stakes are getting are getting higher. And I, those, when I hear that, I, I think of it's it's a moat. You know, not everybody can provide that. There's a handful of folks that can provide it, and for us, that makes our business just a better a better uh, platform over time. So the um, global equity markets were down a lot last year. Uh, global bond markets were down a lot last year. Um, how did these retail products generally fare versus the backdrop in the public markets? Well, you know, certainly they fared better. Now, the, the critic would say, well, yeah, they did because they're private and they don't mark as much. But the underlying products are really, you know, they're really yield products. They're really robust, robust yield product, durable yield products. And so they didn't have that equity risk or that duration risk. So, you know, it's not surprising that they that they withstood the, the volatility a, a bit more. Um, and I think there's no doubt there's an argument now about, you know, some of the products that have an, a, a mismatch between investors coming in and possibly wanting to get out. 
you know, I personally think what 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 Black what Blackstone's doing is right. They're trying to instill discipline that these are not ATM products. But the reality is the long-term secular trend is so much greater than than any kind of short-term um, uh, you know volatility. So the reality is that these products will. Um, if they're structured well, which the ones that I've seen have, um, and they're investing wisely over a long time, that they're going to generate appropriate returns. And, and um, I think most times people getting them away from the emotional attachment to liquidity is probably a good long-term decision. So if you think about all the products, and I think I know the answer for this one, but um, which one out of all these private wealth products do you think will be the largest in five years? Well, at Apollo, I think it'll be AAA. I, I think the idea that, you know, again, just, just to reiterate what we did for the group. So we, when we started that Athene business 12 years ago, you get a dollar in, 95 cents goes basically to investment grade debt, five cents goes to creating this alternatives portfolio. And most traditional folks, insurance companies, had allocated to hedge funds and PE firms and things like that. We said, let's do a little bit of that but let's do some co-investments, let's do create these origination platforms, and let's have a higher degree of success of achieving a 12 or 13% return over a long period with less volatility than 26, negative two, 12, and 14. So we created that portfolio. That's now 10 billion in size, 200 investments. It's got a 14-ish net type of number. And for us, offering that product out where we're going to continue to allocate all of our contributions in the alternatives. It creates great alignment, eliminates the J curve. It's simple. There's no double fees. So something like that has a lot of curb appeal and it's actually quite simple. Is it 1099 too with taxes? Uh, yes. Yes. So, um, so for us, we think that's what will be the largest. Um, let's move on to insurance. So, you know, very large, very profitable, you know, high growth, uh, business for Apollo, you know, arguably your main differentiator versus peers. Um, can this growth continue in a, in a high rate backdrop? And I'm thinking about more competition from the fixed income markets, but also more competition from other large alt managers that have replicated your model to some degree. Yeah. So, by the way, we, we, there's a jar by Mark's desk and my desk. Now, if you call it insurance at Apollo, it's 20 bucks. <laughs> Retirement services. But, but it, it's, 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 a, it's a spread lending business. Um, it's not mortality risk. It's not morbidity risk. It's not healthcare risk. That's a really important point um, in terms of the actual, you know, left tail uh, situation, a left tail risk. But, um, you know, for us, when we got in the business, like many are doing today, it was a runoff business. Uh, now we have four legs to our stool, you know, runoff, retail, PRT, and FABN, um, PRT, pension risk transfer. Most folks are still on generation one buying runoff books in the U.S. So now we have four businesses, four legs, and we're in Europe with Athora, and we're expanding to Asia and Japan and other countries. So we're on generation 3.0. Um, you know, a new, we, we think the rise in rates has actually helped the annuity product. I mentioned to you earlier the, the breadth of annuity sales globally are in the U.S. Um, and there are other annuity markets in Australia and, and other places. 
But we, we feel very comfortable. Will there be? There's more than 100 other players in the marketplace right now. We feel we're really far ahead. When you're in that ecosystem, you know, you have to raise the capital. You have to get rated. You have to create a retail distribution network. Uh, you know, it's just, there's a monumental uh, uh, achievements that need to take place. So there's no doubt there's a few others that are doing a good job in it. Um, the majority of the spoils will go to three, four, five folks. We're clearly at the head of the class. We're in that group. Um, we want some competition. It's good. It's good for regulators. It's good for validation. So, you know, we don't want to be the only, the only folks out there doing it. Um, and again, these are all things that we believe, you know, when we think about our stock and our company, if we bring that same discipline on capital allocation to all of these businesses, that's going to create a competitive moat that creates shareholder value to our business. So we love that. Great. I have another retirement question. Okay. So um, when, you know, Apollo grows through multiple channels, um, there's organic flow in the retail channel, yeah. pension risk transfer, uh, B2B. Um, so, you know, multiple avenues there. I think I'm even missing one. But when you think about all those different channels, um, you know, wh which one do you think to be should be the strongest contributor of growth over the next year? Yeah, I, I think it's tied with retail and PRT. You know, retail because of where we are in the rate cycle and PRT, pension risk transfer, when rates have backed up, uh, a lot more pensions are in a, in a much better funded ratio. And so... XYZ Corporation, industrial manufacturer, they want to probably sort of, you know, cauterize their risk, you know, not have a great quarter in their in their business, but because of where rates are, have a have a mark. So I think you're going to see continued flow in the PRT market. Um, but I think that and and it'll be lumpier. The the retail business will be very steady, having a great first quarter already. Um, and I think as there's more ambiguity about the equity market that helps us out as well. Great. Um, I wanted to ask you about SRE. So spread related earnings, it's a, it's a pretty new earnings metric that you guys came up with. Um, I, I wanted your perspective on it in terms of the durability, the volatility, the growth trajectory. You guys like to compare it a lot to FRE, mm -hmm. but of course today it gets, it's a, a lower valuation in mm -hmm. some of the parts. So, you know, what's your perspective on this metric and why should we put a higher multiple on it? Well, I think it's a it's a journey. I, I think that we we you're right. We have the evolution of it. It's 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 been around for a couple of years now. I believe that we need to go through a credit cycle so people uh, understand and and share our perspective on the durability of that. Um, again, I think when we think about you know other BDC models or REIT models where you're getting you know ten or twelve percent over a six or eight hurdle and we get 100 over whatever our spread is, I think that's a pretty compelling model. I think also people see the capital efficiency of the model right now. Um, while it's a, it's a lot of capital, it's very efficient because we're not using holding company capital to create that. So, you know, I think it's, it, we're in a transition. Um, I, see what, I see the breadth of investors that are coming into our stock that are becoming more educated about the value of it and the value proposition. And I think where it's priced right now is quite attractive. So for us, it's just, it's an evolution and a journey. And, you know, we're very comfortable that what we set out for our five-year plan will get there and people will come along for the ride over time. So Jim, I don't want to hog the floor here because we have a packed house, but I want to see it at this moment if there's any questions in the audience. 
not, I got a few good ones up here left. Okay. All right. Well, um, let me hit on this one. Um, so, so, you know, your, your model's different because um, you and 100% everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about tail risk. I'm thinking about what, what may happen with regulators in the future. But, you know, you're essentially one and the same with the theme. So mm-hmm. how does that make your model, your insurance model, more defensive from stuff that may come in the pipes versus some of your peers where they may not own any part of the insurance business or maybe it's a smaller minority piece of it? Well, if you're affiliated, whether you're majority or minority, you know, you, the, the, the cast of curiosity and regulators aren't going to stop based on formal or informal ownership. Um, the reality is f- for us, we, we want to be the fortress balance sheet. You know, there's a reason why we run at a double A S&P rated capital um, uh, calculation, even though we're only rated single A. And so for us, we want to be the fortress balance sheet we are able to do things, not only grow the business organically, but have things like ADIP, which is that sidecar, and bring a bunch of other investors in. But from, from our perspective, um, we, we, we know the risk, we understand it, we've created it. Um, and when we think about you know, the variety of risks in the markets right now, that's something that we, want, we, we don't mind embracing it, especially at the value that we created it. So from our perspective, it's, an, it's been amazingly um, you know, valuable to us, to our shareholders, to us as investors individually and collectively. And so we, we embrace it. We want, we want to, we want to run with the, with the beacon of being the fortress balance sheet in the industry and, and leading the dialogue about how to be a, a high quality uh, intermediary. So again, growing our PRT business, this is all connected to how we operate uh, as a leader, but we own that risk and we like that risk. Great. Um, last question on the S&P 500 index. Um, you know, the old industries outperformed financials a lot of the last five years, and there's zero representation in the S&P 500. Um, you know, five years ago, you guys were in C-Corps. Now yeah. you're all C-Corps, although there's only yeah. two that are one share, one vote, full C-Corps, and Apollo's the largest of them. So maybe update us on your prospects to get in the S&P 500 index maybe this year. Well, you know, this is one of these things where you, there, there's a process, but you can't you can't apply to the club. They got to knock on your door. Uh, so all we can do is just prepare. We put ourselves in great position in terms of governance, in terms of transparency, in terms of reporting. Um, so we we think we'd be an ideal candidate, uh, which has got a, certainly a lot of upside. But this one of these things, all you can do is prepare and put yourself in a position. So. Uh, it's not like there's a two, two-sided two flow of dialogue where if you do X, we'll do Y. But, um, you know, we think if we keep performing and all the governance that we've done, we, we put ourselves in a pretty strong position to be having that conversation. So, great. Great. Well, that thank is you. it. That's a wrap, Jim. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us at the Bank of Appreciate it, Fred. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.